Good afternoon. Thank you for that beautiful music. It's nice to hear that we can believe and in God's church we should. You know, all these years, every time I hear such beautiful music and beautiful words from the Bible, it makes me realize how grateful we should all be to God that God has opened our minds to understand the truth to do what he says without always asking why. That's my subject, why. A child automatically will ask why when you tell him something to do. I don't think I've ever seen a child who will say why when you told him to go to bed. He will argue. And he thinks he's right. In his own mind, the child knows that he should not go to bed unless or until such time as he wants to go to bed. Or he can ask a child to pick up a toy or something. He said, why? Now, it's interesting because we think of the children, we see their shortcomings, but we don't realize that we oftentimes also have the same type of an attitude toward God. That's where the trouble begins. As I mentioned a moment ago, when you ask why, either you want to learn, understand the reason, or you are just plain rebellious. You want your way. If you want your way, of course, you will not agree whatever you are told as to why you should do something. A child will not agree because of the fact he thinks he's right, no matter how his parents tell him that what he's doing is wrong. He says, why? He thinks he's right. I'm stressing this point see, because of the fact that's exactly, I repeat, oftentimes the way we act toward God. Either we understand what he means, and you don't, you don't agree, in which case we try to just justify our wives. Or we are just plain, shall I say, rebellious. You don't want to do what he says. Those two reasons are very important for all of us to know in the God Church, and I would like to show you in the Bible, really, how those two get, go together. Now, in a child's case, a child does not have your mind. He does not understand your thinking. He does not know what the balance is. Therefore, see, a child has no understanding of what you have understanding as far as the reasons you give him. All right? The same reasoning applies as far as God is concerned and our approach to him. When you ask God, or as you heard in the sermonette, God tells you something to do, you can't say, why? Either you don't understand, then you like to understand, or you just don't want to do it. Yes, the world today doesn't want to do what God says in the Bible. We do understand God says in the Bible, as far as the meaning of the day is concerned, but even then, there are so many ways we'd like to just still do our way and get away with it. 
One of, the, one of the reasons why we don't understand God is because of the fact there are two different degrees of understanding. Look in Isaiah chapter 55. That's one verse I've often thought of, and thought of very deeply because of the fact, if you study the universe, how big the universe is, we're talking about trillions of bi, uh, well, galaxies. You look at that creator of all these galaxies, He's telling us something. He's telling us that we don't quite understand the way he does things because of the fact our mind is limited. Whereas God's mind is unlimited. In Isaiah chapter 55, he starts telling us something, first of all, what to do. He says, seek the Lord, he says, and you'll be found. That's a promise. Therefore, from that moment on, there's no more why. If I'm going to seek the Lord, I know that I have a promise that I'm going to find the Lord. Call upon His name, He says, and He will be, He will hear you. to be found. And then later on He adds, and that's the most interesting part, verse uh, 4, uh, verse 8, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, that's clear enough, therefore all my wise toward him aren't really worth all anything. Because I don't understand why he says something, why he does something, because I don't have the depth of understanding that he has. He says, nor my, nor my ways are your ways. And then he compares. Look at that relationship. For he says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, we're talking about trillions of galaxies, so he says, are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Once you have this understanding, brethren, I think you stop asking God why. It's nice, there's nothing wrong to ask God why if you want to understand. But of most of us, I repeat, we ask God and we don't, we don't agree with it. We don't agree what He has in mind for us, because our minds, first of all, are basically carnal. Romans chapter 8 Romans chapter 8. Again, Paul makes it very clear for all of us to understand the difference between the human mind and God's mind. Romans 8, verse 7. Uh, Paul says, uh, so because the carnal mind, that's the, what the, our own human carnal fleshly mind is, enmity or enemy against God. It is not subject to to love the law of God, and no, it can't be. So, you see, brethren, from that moment on, I think we have to, we have to re really think twice before we question God in a doubting way. That's the whole purpose. An accident happens. First thing, why? Was God there? Does God see it? Why does God allow it? See, all these questions... As far as I'm concerned, that's empty questions. Because our minds, our thoughts, will not able to, won't be able to understand why. Why does God allow, let's say, a child to die? I don't know. But I do know that God is loving Father. God wants everyone to be in His kingdom. God wants us to succeed. I know all of this. That's biblically sound. Of course, there are many things that happen in life, as 
Solomon says could be accidental or circumstances, but basically speaking, oftentimes do happen, and God is always aware of what happens. God allows what happens, doesn't always dictate what happens, but He allows. But when you are close to God, you are praying to God, and you are really believing in God, as we heard in the song, then from that moment on, brethren, we, are, we should stop asking God with a doubtful mind. And this happens often done. You are sick, you ask for being anointed. Right? Somehow God does not answer the question right away. Why? And then you start doubting. And that is what the trouble begins. Because doubting is what kills our faith. If we just knew one basic truth, brethren, God's timing is always right. No matter what the circumstances, when you have a question to ask of God, wait for the answer, but wait at his own timing. No matter what the problem, then you won't have any doubting or doubtful God, wise, and so forth. I repeat, nothing wrong to ask God why, if you want to understand if you want to obey. But it is wrong to ask God why if you want to argue with him. As a child argues with the parents when they tell him to go to bed. In Hosea chapter 4, Hosea chapter 4, another interesting revelation God tells us. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Now it says, let Uh, let no man says contend or reprove another, for your people, for your people are like those who contend with the priest and so forth. I would like to go to verse 6. Yes, I'm sorry. All right. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. My people, he says, are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What knowledge are we talking about? We're talking about knowledge God, God reveals in the Bible. And God says that to you and to me, that my people lack knowledge, do we? You know why we lack knowledge, oftentimes? Because we don't agree, agree with God. We don't want to. If God says something and it's going to ruin our ways of doing things as a child, or it deprives us from doing the job we want to do, we just don't want to do it, and then we lack knowledge. The moment you just turn against God or God's will, you're lacking knowledge. So it says, for it says, therefore it says, because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Interesting. We're supposed to be, in the kingdom of God, priests and kings. Right? And this is a dual prophecy in a way. So God says, look, if you don't really apply the knowledge you have, you'll be deprived from that future too. And then he says, I will also uh, reject you, says, reject you, because it says, they have forgotten me, I will also forget your children. But those are not plain words, brethren. Oftentimes, those words answer our wise. I'm saying this because of the fact I meet lots of people, I see lots of people, I talk to lots of people, and I see most of the time people questioning God's ways of doing things. 
or God's understanding, quote-unquote, or God's acting against our own desires. You know, I remember Ambassador College, the students used to memorize Bible verses. I thought they were very proud of it. I remember, I'm sure Mr. Magic knows this, you know, they memorized 5, 10, 20, 25 verses just by heart. And all the verses everyone knew, just, I mean, there's no question, First John 3, 4, bang. No question. Well, First John 3, 4, I'm sure you know it. It could be the reason why sometimes do happen. For those of us who are questioning, it's because God is speaking about sin. So when you break God's laws, that's a sin. And therefore, breaking of God's laws necessarily brings about things which you don't like to happen. But the fact is that sometimes it is not always due because of breaking God's laws, because it could be circumstances, I, I repeat. But the fact is that whatever it is, even though penalty of the law, when you break the law, it's sin, and then we have to pay the penalty. The fact remains that once we understand God's way of doing things, see, there's, there's no round, there's a cause and effect. We are human beings. It's a changing world. You look around today. When I look back 50 years ago, I don't recognize the world. At the time, it was bad. Things were very bad. Today, they are worse. Tomorrow, it might be worse yet. But the fact is that, you see, we don't have to ask or doubt or question God as to why God allows these things to happen. He tells you in the Bible why they happen. Because, yes, we break his laws, because we disobey God. As we disobey God, it's going to be, things are going to be from bad to worse. That's the reason why. But come back to the church, to the church of God. Now, you and I, to the best of our ability, we are obeying God. We and, you and I, we do, we think at least, uh, what God wants us to do then why do we have so many problems? Then why do we have so many people, let's say, unhappy? So many people sick? So many accidents? That's where the problems begin. As soon as you, those things happen, you are the child being sick to take it to the hospital. Why? Again, brethren, always remember time and circumstances, but also part of our perhaps wrongdoing, but from that moment on again, please understand, you put your faith in God, knowing that God is there to help, to repair the damage, to help us, to heal us, and then stop questioning God in a negative or doubtful way. I don't think I can emphasize this enough because of the fact I've seen so many times in people's minds, when something goes wrong, God is to be blamed. Indirectly, oh, sure, I know, but God is so great, so merciful, He should understand me, He should therefore forgive me, therefore He should do this and that. If your thinking is along that line, you're wrong. You cannot tell God what He should do. God tells you what you should do. Otherwise, you have this uh, discrepancy, as I mentioned a moment ago. Look at the unhappy families today. I was reading a paper the other day and they said that 55% of the families today are broken or breaking up. Why? That's, that's a good why. And the answer is in the Bible. 
People don't do what God says in Ephesians 5, chapter 5, which I want to do. You know it. If there's no right relationship between the man and the husband, if there's no trust between the two, if there's no respect among themselves, stop asking why. Stop blaming God. Well, it, it brings you back to Adam and Eve, you know. When Adam and Eve uh, broke God's commandments, they start blaming each other. It won't take you too far when you start blaming each other or blaming God. The fact is that Come back and understand what is it that you're doing which is not pleasing in God's sight or which is not what God tells you to do. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, here Paul speaks about the human, the human mind, and also, and he tells us how we are different from God's way of thinking and so forth. And he says, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, rather, verse uh, 14. Well, let's go back to verse uh, 12. Now, says, we have received uh, not the spirit of, of the world, if we got church, but the spirit of God, which comes from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. What has God, God given us freely? Everything. The air we breathe, whatever, the water we, we drink, everything we have comes from God. And God has given us in His church His mind, His spirit, so we can understand. Therefore, it says these things, verse uh, 13, these things uh, we also speak not in, in words which... Uh, man's wisdom, but the Spirit teaches, but uh, when the Holy Spirit, uh, Spirit teaches and uh, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. In other words, you have to have the same level. Level of God's thinking, God's understanding. And just uh, back to verse 12, if you want to, First uh, Corinthians 2, 12, he says, For what man knows the things of the of, of, of man except the spirit of man. And then, of course, even says so, oh, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Why am I quoting those verses? Because you and I, we know God's spirit. We have God's spirit. But oftentimes we reason with our carnal spirit. And there's, a, there's that enmity. All through the Bible, brethren, you will find this discrepancy. You'll find God's people sometimes rebelling. Of course, the whole nation rebelled. Sometimes his own prophets questioning, but when you question in a doubting way, and questioning way, in a negative way, you're in trouble. I want to show you a few examples in the Bible. As I mentioned again, please understand, there's nothing wrong asking God why if you want to understand but oftentimes we don't listen to what he says. Look in Matthew chapter 6. You will probably today this, in the sermonette. Matthew chapter 6. Christ tells us something which we don't believe. When you look around, when you see the difficulties, the poverty, every time you listen to the television, the news, 
It's disgusting. So, of course, again, why? Why is God allowing it? Because our thoughts come to our mind. So, and then we lose a job because of the fact that we're keeping the Sabbath. I know something about it because for years in the French work, we have seen people lose their jobs, their practically their livelihood because they, they have to keep the Sabbath and you cannot keep the Sabbath often time in France because you cannot find a job which will allow you to keep the Sabbath holy. So anyway, here God tells us that no matter what happens to you, don't worry if you're doing His will. Matthew chapter 6. He says, therefore, says uh, verse 25, I say to you, do not worry. Now, God is telling you, don't worry at how often we do. So in a way, we are not obeying God's law, God's order, God, God's desire. We are asking why do we lose our jobs? Why do we suffer while we are sick? And why we don't have enough to eat? And we do have some people in, in God's church who don't have enough to eat in the poor countries. So, God tells us, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you should eat or you should drink. Nor he says, uh, what you should clothe and so forth. I'm just paraphrasing. He says, because he says, look, Look at the birds, verse 26, God will take care of them. Which of you, verse 27, by worrying says, can add one cubit to, to his statue. Why do you think those things are written there? How often do you get in the morning and say, thank God, I don't have any problems? There it is. See, how often do you wake up in the morning and start counting your, your problems? Yet God says, don't worry. And then goes a little bit further on. It says, why? Verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Now, you know, there's a question of difference of worrying and doing your job. If you're doing your part, you don't have to worry. But you don't just fold up your arms and wait for God to do something for you. Then you have to worry. The fact is that God is not telling us to be lazy. God is telling us to do what we can do, what we should do. Once we have done our part, from that moment on, you don't have to worry. But if you are not doing your part, then you could, of course, ask why, and you'll be arguing with God. I hope you can see, because those words you see are very clear. Christ is telling us the exact look. Do your share, do your part, stop worrying. But if you don't do your part, do your share, all your wives are not going to be any good whatsoever. And then Christ continues, verse 29, and yet it says, uh, I say to you, it says that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like, uh, like these, like the birds. Now it says, if God so clothed the grass of the, the field, which today is and tomorrow is not, and so forth, it says, why do you worry? Oh, you of little faith. You, the moment you start questioning with a doubtful mind, you're losing faith. You have heard so many sermons about faith, right? And, and you say, why is that God is, God is not giving me enough faith? God has given the faith. You're the one who just blocks the way. Blocks the way by asking questions which are not necessary because God has given the answer. Look, if I don't have a job, if I'm looking for a job, if I'm ready for a job, I know my scale, if I'm doing my share, from that moment on, all of my worries are worthless. They only kill me. 
The only hurt me. The only do what God wants doesn't want us to happen. If I could have that peaceful mind, say, look, all right, I've done my share. I'll have faith in God, and you will see miracles, brethren. I really mean it. We have seen this time and again in God's church throughout the years. And then uh, Christ says, verse, uh, therefore, it says, verse uh, 34, therefore, do not worry. Again, think, what shall we eat, and so forth. And then, for after these things, that's 32, verse 32, it's interesting. Look, uh, now we're talking about today's meaning, so-called Christmas and Gentiles. God says, look, for after all these things, it says, Gentiles seek. What do they seek? Do they seek their ways? They want to have things their way. That's no reason why oftentimes we ask God why. Because when God answers and we receive an answer, we don't like it because it is not what we asked for. It is what He gives us. And in His own wisdom, God gives us exactly what we need and not necessarily what we want. That again is a why. I can't give you many, many examples, but let's just, I want you to get the point because I'm sure you have many examples yourself in your own lives. And then he says, verse 32, for your, look at, look, look at his promise, for your heavenly Father knows what you need and the things you need. You know, that's, that to me, that's it. If God knows what I need, that's all that matters. If God knows what I need, if I have faith in Him, if I'm doing my part, I don't have to ask God why things are going wrong with me. I can check, find out maybe what I'm doing wrong, where I'm rebelling against Him, or turning away from Him. But if I do really get keep close to God, from that moment on, we should keep in mind what Christ says. Father knows. And of course, afterwards, He seek to the, the kingdom of God, which we have same time again this verse. Yes, you can only seek the kingdom of God by stop worrying. By start doing your job well according to God's will. Therefore, look 34 again. Therefore, don't worry. How often in this one chapter God says don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient is as used today and its troubles. You know, in the, in the Church of God, we have seen those things and heard those things, preached those things time and again. I've given many sermons on the subject, yet when I speak with people, it comes back to the same principles we see over here. People are just unable to understand why certain things happen in their own lives. If you don't do what God says, if you don't obey God's laws, if you don't, in a way, get rid of your carnal reasoning, you will never understand that God's way of doing things are always best. It is important, brethren, because of the fact, look what happened to the Church of God. About 30 years ago, most of us, perhaps all of us who are here, were in Pasadena. They were, that was a different life. Then, uh, much happened, and uh, quite a few people said, why? And the why was always turned uh, around them, not within them. No one asked really, so to speak, those who did not understand, what did I do wrong? Where I went wrong? Why did it allow? Well, God allowed it, yes. But all the things happened, and God allowed, it is not necessarily God's will. But 
God will see to it that if he wants something to be done, he's going to see that that thing is done. Once you have that basic understanding, brethren, you will understand the Bible much more, much better. Some people, they start finding reasons as to why God was, God was not blessing us. No. Don't look for such empty reasoning. Ask yourself, why? What am I doing wrong? You know, as the strong song used to say, if our ways are pleasing to God, that's also in the Bible, of course, First John, if our ways please God, then God will bless us. We don't have to ask why, because the wise will not be necessary. Right? Let's take, for instance, the, an example here. Moses was a man after God's own heart, like David. Moses was a man God used. And Moses was a man which, who, first, when God called him, he just didn't know why. Look at Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. It's interesting because, well, he just didn't know. Moses didn't think he was worthy, first of all, or able to. Therefore, he did ask God why. But he's asking why he was not rebellious. He just wants to know why God called him and not his brother, for instance. Or, or someone else who is more able to. Brethren, I don't know why God called us. Certainly, if we're going to look around very wise from worldly point of view people, we don't have too many in the Bible, as Paul says. We don't have too many, too many noble people in the church. Too many intelligent people in the church. Not too many. But here, same reasoning with Moses. Moses didn't know why God had to call him. Exodus chapter 3, so God saw, I'm just paraphrasing here now, saw the difficulty of his people, and he says uh, uh, to Moses, verse, five, verse 3, verse 8, I'm sorry, Exodus 3, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 8, so I have come down says, to deliver them out of the hand of Egyptians. So, we taste drink to Moses, verse 7, now I said, therefore, behold, uh, the cry of that people has come to me. And therefore it says, come now, therefore it says, and I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, look, who am I? Why me? Why me? It's natural. Who am I? But see, he's not rebelling. He wants to know what God has in mind. He knows his ability. And God answered it very clearly. So Moses said, Who am I that I should be able to bring? God says, verse 12, I will certainly says, be with you. Same as we saw in Matthew. I'll be with you. And he said, this shall be, he says, a sign. And then God gave him quite a few different ways of showing that he is able. And then, again, Moses goes back and says, Look, what? Look, I cannot do it. Why? What shall I tell people about who you are? And God answers again, verse 14. He says, Lord, tell them that I am God, who I am, and so forth. But that wasn't enough. Moses wanted to understand more. But again, all the questions are not rebellious. They, he wants to be sure that he is really the one God is calling. So what happens? Chapter 4. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose, see, again, there's still doubt in his mind. But suppose that they will not believe me. 
And listen to me. And the Lord says, that the Lord is saying that the Lord has not appeared to you, and so forth. And God said, look, what's in your hand? God showed him some miracles and so forth. I'll just skip all that, but here's the point. Moses had questions about his ability. It's, 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 it's right. We don't, we're not able to do what God wants us to do. You and I, brethren, honestly, when you put together, all of us together, what are we? Who are we? What can we do? Especially today, the church is really getting old. And the ministry, what, what can we do? Just like Moses would say, look, why can't you call someone else? God said, look, God knows what he's doing. Let, let God do it. But see, once Moses understood that that was God's will, from that moment on, there was no question in Moses' mind. He was able to lead, I don't know, five, six million carnal mind and carnal mind of strong will people out of Egypt. But he had to have that basic grounds, first of all, to be sure that he was the one God was calling. Uh, there's a lot to say about that type of a life and what we have today. You know, in the conferences we have here with Mr. Meredith, oftentimes we say, well, what, what can we do? I mean, look what we have. Well, humanly speaking, there is no solution. There is no way. But God knows, and God is the one leading it. God is the one who is going to bring all things to pass. And then we don't have to worry. We don't have to say why in a questioning way. Let's take another example, which is also interesting, to show people who suffer, who are cold, and they don't have to give up or give in because of the fact they are unable to do a job. Look at Job. To me, that's one of the most fascinating stories in the Bible. Job chapter 1. Look at what God says about Job. Now, from that moment on, the whole story becomes very clear. Job did not turn away from God, even though very awful things happened to him. But look, Job chapter 1, verse 1. To me, when I read that chapter 1, verse 1, I know exactly why God allowed things to happen. Job didn't. Look at what God thinks of Job. He said, there was a man who says, I was blameless. That's pretty good, God is saying. Upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. If I could qualify for this type of statement, I, I would make. It is fantastic. Now here's a man, the God is telling about Job, that's, that's the man. From that moment on, God will allow anything to happen to him, knowing that Job is going to stay strong. And that's exactly what happened. You see, there's a devil. Devil knows. Satan knows exactly what you and I can do. Satan will do everything to discourage you and me. And he did exactly that to Job. Satan saw Job's quality and he, of course, wanted to destroy Job. So he does something. Verse 6. Now I said there was a day when uh, the sons of God came to present themselves before God, and Satan was also with them. So, you see, Satan had contact with God. And look at, it's interesting the way God describes Job again. Because God knows all things. God knew Satan's 
uh, trick mind here. So he's studying, in a way, to Satan. Interesting. This is, this is, look, he says, uh, have you seen verse uh, 8? Have you considered my servant, Job? And he says, there's not, no one like him on the earth. And he says, blameless and repeats, upright, one who is God and shun evil. Repeats again before Satan. Now look at Satan's reaction. That's what our human mind is. We always find a reason. Uh-oh. God is blessed so and so because of the fact, let's say, God is, has prejudice. Or perhaps uh, he loves, he, he makes exceptions of persons or, or, or tries to favor someone. It isn't so because look what God says. So Satan, after God said that, Satan said, look, yeah, sure, Job fears you for no reason whatsoever. I mean, aren't you, he, isn't he close to you? Doesn't he like you because you're blessing him? There's your doubts. From that moment on, you have all these wives, you see. So Satan says, Satan is telling, look, God, Job is blessed or, or is he doing what you want you to do because you're blessing him. But now he says, uh, stretch out your hand, verse 11. Satan was speaking. Your hand, and he says, uh, touch off that he has, and he will surely curse you and, 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 and just blame you. I'm paraphrasing again. That's the way Satan thinks. God was sure that Job was strong enough. Because he said, time and again, upright, take God. So he gives, he gave Job, uh, he gave Satan a power. So you and I, we know the story, we can see the story. Job didn't know. Job had no idea what was happening behind his back and away. So here comes Satan, with God's permission, God allowed it. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he says, all that he has is in your hand. All he says, do not lay a hand on his person. Now, suppose that thing happened, you see. And it happens. Suppose that thing happens to you. You won't know. All of a sudden, you go, you're going to doubt God and ask wise and sell his soul and lose faith, perhaps, or turn away from God. But just, it didn't happen that way. Satan wanted it to happen that way, but it didn't. Look, the worst thing that happened, happened later on. You can see the whole chapter later on. Everything that Job had, he lost. He lost his servants, he lost his sons, and everything else. His daughters, I mean, I'm just part of, You can't see the rest, you know the story. Everything was gone. So how far could you go without asking God why? Again, remember, Job didn't know. Satan knew. God knew. Job didn't. Suppose you're in his shoes. What would you do? Okay, God, I don't believe you anymore. Because this is too much. Look, you, look at my family. It's gone. Everything's gone. Everything you have given me, it's gone. So, what happened? He lost everything. Verse 20. Job chapter 1, verse 20. Then he said, Job arose, tore his robe, Shaved his hand, head, and he fell on his on the ground. He said, "What did he say? Why, God? I don't like you anymore. I don't believe you anymore." He said, 
Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I go. And then the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed. No, it's thank you, God. That's what blessed is. No, it, it's too much. You cannot believe this could happen. But there's the attitude. Now I can see why God said Job was an upright. So, therefore, he says, naked I can, naked I go. If we have this much understanding, brethren, and we should in the church of God, we should stop doubting God. And we do doubt God when things go wrong. We do just question him in a negative way. Well, continue the story. Satan wasn't happy, of course. And so, uh, Satan tried again. It's, you know the story very well. So, Satan said, well, yes, but you see, verse 4, chapter 2. Skin to skin for skin, it says, uh, all a man has this, he will give, give for his life. But stretch your hand, verse 5, chapter 2. And he says, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you. And see, th those are Satan's thoughts, and he's trying to just convince God that's what's going to happen. But Job did have God's blessing. And God did love Job, and God, God knew that Job was, Job was strong enough to stand, stand strong. So what happened? God says, all right, verse 6, chapter 2. So he says, all right, so behold, he says, he's in your hand. But spare his life. In other words, go ahead and do what you want. How much will you take it, brethren? How much will you stand a, a, a try like this without turning away from God? Without saying, why? Why? And then just saying, well, I don't believe in God anymore. And quite a few people have had this attitude, even in the church of God lately. Because of these things happen, I don't believe anymore. I've seen, brethren, group of people. I've talked to some of them. Saying, look, this could not have been God's church. Because those things happen. Does God forsake the church? No, God did not forsake the church. Those things happen for a purpose, yes, but the fact is that we are all guilty part of it. The fact is that God will always bless those who remain faithful to Him, as He did the job here. So you know the story. Even Job's wife told him to just turn away. He didn't. And he, all his friends came later on when he was suffering, he was really suffering. Job questioned, yes, but he never doubted. He's the one who said, you remember Job, chapter 14, says, well, when I die, there's a resurrection. He's the one always telling his friends, look, what you're telling me, I don't understand. All I want, an answer. He's seeking for an answer. He did not get the answer from his friends. What his friends told him were good, but they did not apply to his problem. Oftentimes, you get a Good advice from someone, but it did not solve your problem. That's what it is. Therefore, Job's friends, all the advice they gave him were fine. But they did not answer his problem. That's why God told toward the end of chapter, chapter 42. He told Job's friends, look, you did not understand. And interesting part is that when God spoke to Job, in the chapters 36, 37, 38, and so forth, God never answered Job's, Job's questions. That's another interesting thing. God doesn't answer your questions necessarily the way you want Him to answer. God did not say why those things were happening. 
God showed Job how he, God, is great. How he, God, knows all things. How he, God, has created the whole world, the whole universe. And that's the only time Job says, all right, now I understand chapter 42. What did he understand? He just understood that God is in power. God knows what God knows what he's doing. Now he says, verse 6, chapter 42, Therefore says, Now so I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. It's interesting. See, this, brethren, to us, to us in the church of, church of God, should inspire us to know that no matter what happens, trust God. God knows. In the, in the story of Job, as I said, the only person who did not know what was happening was Job. God knew. Satan knew. But yet, he stood firm. That's for us a tremendous lesson we should learn and we should follow his example. The, uh, when something, as I said again, goes wrong in our lives, right away we forget God's promises. We forget that God has told us, don't worry. We forget God has told us, look, I'm with you always. Look at David. To me, when you read Psalms, it's interesting because you can see one way David's wondering why, why everyone else but the righteous are blessed. And then right away he says, oh, no, no, wait a moment. The evil people are temporarily blessed, but in the long run, the righteous are going to be ahead. That's what the Psalms is about. Psalms, in the Psalms you find always how the so-called evil people temporarily are blessed, but in the long run, they are, you know, what they lose out, and then the righteous is the one who goes ahead. For instance, Psalms chapter 10, I won't take too many Psalms, there are so many of them, but God, David shows us here how to think. Uh, Psalms chapter 10, for instance. He says, why, verse 1, do you stand afar off, O Lord? There he is. See now, he's, he's questioning. He's, he doesn't know what's happening. He's not arguing with God. Says, Why? I don't get it. Why is it? Why do you says, hide yourself in times of trouble? That's, those are humanly speaking, human thoughts. It's true. He's not rebelling. He wants to have an answer. And certainly David did get an answer. And he's getting to, to you later on in the Psalms again. And he says, look, the wicked, the wicked, he says, uh, uh, in his pride, persecutes the righteous, the poor. Let them, he says, be caught in the, in the, in the plots which uh, they have devised and so forth. And then, later on in the same chapter, all of a sudden he comes back to the reality of things. Verse 17, Lord says, you have heard the desire of the humble. Let's see that is. He questions, not doubting, but he doesn't understand what's happening, but he comes back to his senses. Lord, he says, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will pre uh, prepare their, uh, their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man, he says, of the earth may oppress no more. Believe it or not, if you read this psalm, that's the way, all the way through. David shows this discrepancy, so to speak, 
Yet he always ends up saying, look, God knows, God knows what is best, and trust God. One of the best Psalms is chapter 37, Psalms 37. It, it's really worth seeing it. I won't read the whole thing, but I wish you would read it. And see the way David is reasoning. One way of showing how people in the world seemingly are blessed. Yet he says, points us. Let me just take one verse here. Psalms 37. Oh yeah, verse uh, 9. Psalms 37, verse 9. For evildoers, they should be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, those who serve God, they shall inherit the earth. That's you. That's me. Says for yet is a little while, and the wicked be no more. Indeed, says you will look diligently for his place, for it shall be no more. But it says the meek shall look at how often it comes back again. Verse eleven. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in on the abundance, abundance of peace. You see, brethren. Once you understand the spirit of the Psalms, then you don't ask wise in a complaining way. David never complained. He questioned. He says, look, what's happening? And that's natural. That's normal. That's human. But always know that God knows what he's doing and you'll be solving so many of your problems, brethren. So many things you can't do in life. And do, do, do really understand that, look, if God is aware, let him do it. Let me just do my own share. Look at our forefathers, Israelites. They were suffering, they were in, in bondage, they complained, they shouted, they groaned, they moaned. And finally, when God took them out, the first thing they say, Why? Why do you take us out of Egypt? Because things did not happen the way they wanted to happen. Because they did not have the water the first day, well, why do you want us to come out of Egypt? Do you want us to die? Look at the difference. No, God didn't want them to die. But that's the first thought they had. That's the way you act and that's the way I act. The same thing when uh, all the way through, they complained, they complained, and you know the rest. At the end, they practically lost out. Only two or three were able to come out of, of, this, of this captivity, so to speak. What was Moses answered. The very Moses who was saying, who am I? When people were afraid, Moses told them something which you and I, brethren, should always remember. Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. When people are distressed, they don't know what's happening, they want to go back, they say, why did God take us out of Egypt? Moses calmed them. He said, look, Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. Uh, you see, when we see the stories like this, we don't pay attention and we don't realize it's happening to us. So, and when uh, Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and they saw, of course, the army. They were afraid. Sure. When you turn away from God, you're always afraid. Adam and Eve turned away from God. They were afraid. Brethren, don't turn away from God. Don't ask 
God why in a doubting way. Know that he knows what he's doing and obey him. There's no reason for you to be afraid. So Moses tell them, look, uh, he says, uh, to this day he says, uh, I'm just trying to jumping over. Here, verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. That's a tremendous advice, isn't it? When you have a question because you don't understand, you're asking God why this thing is happening. Just remember what Moses told his people. Look, this, the Lord will fight for you. Just keep still. I'd like to just take an example here. Jump in the New Testament. To me, it's one of the most interesting history or story in the Bible. Because it's almost impossible, humanly speaking, to believe in Matthew chapter 15. When you read the Bible, read examples like this, put yourself in the person's shoes and see how you would have acted. Right? You have a problem, you go to God, and God says, sorry, I have no time for you. Now, wait a moment. You're God. You don't have time for me? It makes sense. I'm no, I have something else to do. I'm just paraphrasing. Let's go paraphrasing now. But a similar example happens in Matthew chapter 15 in a different way. Suppose you were in the shoes of this woman here. Matthew 15, uh, verse uh, 21. Then Jesus went out of, out of the way, and then he met a woman, verse 22. And she was from Canaan. And the woman can, comes to Christ. Look at what she says. Look, a wonderful attitude. She's not saying, I don't believe you. She's a Gentile, yes, but says, have mercy on me. Verse 22. Lord, son of David. Wow, look, even though she's Gentile, she understands this is God's son. She says, have mercy on me, please. Help me. My daughter is severely given possessed. Okay. I said, sure, I'll take care of him. No, it just didn't happen that way. 23 says, <laughs> well, first of all, he answered not a word. He didn't even answer. And the disciples look, send her away. Look at the attitude. Disciple and Christ have been turning away. Because God knows what he's doing here. And so, uh, Christ said, uh, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, wait a moment. God is just. God loves everyone. God loves the sinners too, if they repent. God loves the Gentiles. Here is he, he's answering, look, sorry, I'm here for the Israelites. That's what it is, isn't it? How would you react? Okay, I don't believe in God. I don't trust it. See, there it is. That's what I was saying. You. God isn't just. It just isn't the answer she gave. Look, verse 25. Then she came. After hearing Christ saying, look, I'm not here for you. But Christ, of course, loved the woman. Christ was testing in a way, but also a lesson for all of us. Christ, uh, after hearing what Christ said, then she came, verse 25. Worshipped him. Worshipped him. 
after she heard, I'm not here for you, she worships him and says, Lord, help me. There's no wise, there's no rebellion attitude, just help me. And Christ goes one step further yet. That's how much is too much. Verse 26, Christ answered, look, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Boy, that does it. I mean, how far can you go? See, when you read examples like this, you can see. First of all, God tests us, yes, but God is always merciful. But there's a tremendous lesson here showing the woman's attitude. Even though she's Gentile, even though now she's a, treated like being a dog, look the way she answered. She did not, again, complain in the sense of why, why you so unjust and so forth. She gave an answer that Christ was really just surprised. Woman said, look, she says, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. No rest. Christ marveled. She was blessed. See, brethren, at times they do happen, things like this happen, and we don't understand why. Sometimes God allows us to be tested. Sometimes God takes longer time than we expect Him to do. But the fact is that if you just be patient and trust God, you will always get the right answer. Look at Paul. Paul's example is interesting. Paul was faithful to God. He suffered a lot. And things happened to him. He did not understand why. Yet God told him, but even though God told him why, he still could not quite reconcile himself. Look, in the second Corinthians chapter 11, I think it is. All these things are written, I repeat, for our example, so that we can learn. 12. First Corinthians, uh, second Corinthians chapter 12. Here we have Paul, a servant of God, who did so much. He gave up so much. He helped so much. He actually suffered more than all the disciples, as he says. Here, he has a problem. He has some problem of health problem, and he asked God to heal him. But God said no. Of course, not the story, because Paul had some experience in himself, says chapter 1, verse 1, to, chapter 12, verse 1, 2, 3, 4. He says, look, things happened to me, I don't know, it was so great, I don't even understand. So he himself even is doubting why such things will happen to him. And then he says, so, blessed, verse 7. Chapter 12, verse 7, Second Corinthians. Look at this. Paul knew the reason, but he did not quite, again, reconcile himself with the situation. Lest it say I should be exalted above all measure. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, he says, uh, by Satan. God allowed it. So that I should not be exalted above measure. Now look. Here's Paul. Apostle of God. He, through God's help and power, he helped people to be well. He prayed for them, they were well. He has a problem, he's turned to God. And he wants God to heal him from whatever his problem was over here. 
Wouldn't you expect God to say, okay, Paul, you're the, I know you need it. I'm going to bless you. But look at, again, verse 7. Paul knew that, humanly speaking, this could be too much. He could, he could be exalting himself. So God also knew that. God was, want to be sure that Paul, this, won't, this won't go to Paul's head. So even though Paul, he said three times he was prayed. Verse 8. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, if this happens to you, sometimes you doubt. You will say, well, God doesn't love me, doesn't care for me. Brethren, there's so much in the Bible we can learn from. Maybe I'll get you one example here because it's, uh, it's also in my mind. In the life of uh, Joseph, it would be interesting to take the whole life of jo Joseph because of the fact it's unbelievable again. The things that happened to Joseph, you could, if you were in his shoes, you say, why, why, why? Let me just give you the summary of the chapters. Back in Genesis chapter 37, I believe that's where it starts. Yeah. And I'm just going very rapidly just to give you an idea. Here's a man, one of the Jacob's sons, right? It just so happened that God loved Joseph, I mean, Jacob loved Joseph more than he loved the others, other sons. Now, what's wrong with it? Chapter 1, chapter 37, verse 1. Now Jacob dwelled in the land of his father, and so forth. And then, and here, here we are. And now it says, verse 3, now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his uh, old age. Okay, so, from that moment on, what did Joseph do to be penalized? Why is he penalized? Because his father loved him more than he loved the others. His brethren, as you know, his brothers, they turned away from him. They turned against him. They sold him to Midianites. You know the story. He did not ask, you want something? You want to find why one verse saying Joseph said why. He obeyed God. His brothers sold him to Midianites. As you know, he was he found favor in people's eyes. Later on he was given a tremendous job with a man named Potiphar. And he was upright, he was he was a in a way, given more and more power. Yet, once again, Satan, God allowed Satan to just attack. And here, Potiphar's wife that turned against, and then he wants him to commit, commit adultery. And Joseph did not want to break God's law. Even though, even for that, he was, he was blamed. He lost his job. He was, he was thrown into prison. Why? He read the whole chapters. He didn't say why. Because he did not doubt God. Yet all the while, God also blessed him. He, wherever he went, he found favor in God's eyes. Later on, as you know, they were prisoners. And then uh, he told them what their dreams were, and he told them, please remember me when you're free. They forgot him. Why did he, he, he actually save the life of the butcher? And 
giving you the whole story, I'm sure you know it. And the butcher, when he was actually put back in, his, in, God's, in, his, in the king's favor again, he forgot about Joseph. Why? Well, why, did he, why did God allow it? Let's continue. And what happens? Finally, he found grace in Pharaoh's eyes and so forth. He became so big, he became so powerful, he became next to Pharaoh. And then his brothers, of course, he saved his brothers' lives. They were scared to death of him when they heard who he was. And then, finally, Joseph sees, understands, and he has an idea, he has a the understanding as to what happened. Yet all the way through, as you can see, he did not question God in a negative way. Chapter 45. Genesis 45. So that his brothers were him, they were very much afraid of him. Uh, let me just skip. Okay, verse uh, 5. Genesis 45, verse 5. But now he says, do not therefore be grieved. He's talking to his brothers who sold him. Brothers who actually did everything they could do just back to get rid of him. He's telling your brothers, his brothers says, look, don't be grieved, nor angry with yourselves. That's forgiveness. That's really forgiveness. Because he says, you sold uh, me here. For God sent me before you to preserve, uh, to preserve life. Here it is. Joseph at this time understood why those things happened. But they happened, but he never complained why they were happening. Three times he repeats the same sentence here. Look, verse 40, uh, verse 5, first of all, he says that. And then later on, says verse 7, he says that God sent me before you to preserve the posterity. See, he's getting now, he's understanding. But the understanding came much, much later. After all these things happened, again verse 8, repeats once again. So now he says, it is not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh. In other words, brethren, oftentimes things happen at the time we don't understand. We do later on. When I look back in the Church of God all these years, there are more things I don't understand. But I don't want to doubt. I know God is aware. God allowed it. I know we made lots of mistakes. But all things work together for good. And God is leading the church. And we're going to do the job. There's a big job to be done. And God knows how we can do it. We don't. But let's not ask God why in a doubtful or doubting way. Because by so doing, we only hurt ourselves. Look at Christ. Christ came to give his life for us, for you and for me. He suffered. He was persecuted. He was actually crucified. What was his attitude? Why God? No. He didn't say why. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Those are lessons for us to learn, brethren. If anyone has suffered on the earth, no one has suffered more than Christ has. Christ suffered for you and my sins, and then 
forgive everyone when he was being actually crucified look at his attitude Luke chapter 22 verse 40 Luke 22 verse 40 he's, uh, he's with his own betrayers he says when those around him saw what was going on they said to him look Lord, shall we strike and so forth with the sword? And then, just let me just go a bit farther yet. No. Okay, we're not 40, sorry. So here, Christ prayed for God's help because he needed help. Father says it is, verse 32, if it is your will, not complaining, not saying why it is your will, he says, remove this cup from me. Then he comes back to exactly what all of us should do. Nevertheless, he says, Thy will be done, not mine. All the way through. Brethren, and he's the one who says, Forgive them. They don't know what they do. The same thing happened to later on in Acts chapter 7 to Stephen, as you know. Well, let's sum up. Why God called you and me? For a job to, to be done. Why we don't do the things he wants us to do? Because we turn away from him sometimes. We, we want to do things our ways. Why do we suffer? Sometimes because of directly because of the things we do. Sometimes because God allows this, as we saw. But one thing you and I, brethren, should learn. God is merciful. God is just, faithful, and God wants us to succeed. God, uh, God wants everyone to be in his kingdom if we repent, if we are in good attitude. Let me just close with one psalm. It's, it's, to me, it's a beautiful psalm. If you read this psalm, the short, short one, you will never, never have to ask why in a negative way. Psalms 121, 121. Let's really read and just appreciate what God is telling us. Psalms 121. We saw this, this is what we call the Song of Ascend. There are 15 of them. So I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where or from whence come my help. Look at the attitude. Yeah, with this attitude, you can't really doubt God. So my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Sometimes we think God is slumbering. Sometimes we think God is deaf or doesn't want to answer. Look at what he says. God does not slumber. Behold, he says, he who keeps Israel, and we are his people, shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper, verse 5. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you, says, by day, day by day, says, nor the moon by night. So the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. Do you believe it? There it is. I mean, you can't be any clearer than this. Once you understand this, but there is no way you can say why and doubt God. He shall preserve your soul. Verse 8, 
The Lord shall preserve your going out, your coming in, from this time forth and even forevermore. Brethren, when you read this thing, when you appreciate God and the things He does for all of us, you can never say, Why I doubt His mercy, His life, His, his love for us, and above all things, the very purpose for which we are called. God wants us to make His kingdom.